0: Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danchin, paediatrician, and your host for today, and I'm joined by co host and good friend, Dr. Anthea Rhodes. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Margie. This episode, we're going to be talking about an issue that has become prominent this year during the COVID vaccine rollout, and that's needle distress in kids. Really looking forward to it. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast. This year, we've had obviously the hugest challenge with this whole of life COVID vaccination program. And in the last couple of months, we've actually been able to offer the vaccine to teenagers. And what we've seen are some real challenges as kids, particularly initially Year 12 kids and here in Victoria, the vaccine blitz, but now all teens, you know, some of them really
1: having difficulty and concern and anxiety about having the needle. Possibly, Margie, because it's been a long time for kids since they've had a vaccination often. Some children might have had the flu vaccine, so they've got a reasonably recent experience of that or perhaps to do with travel. But for lots of kids, they don't really remember having vaccinations because it happened so early in their life and it's it's become quite a big challenge for them that might actually be affecting their ability to go ahead and get vaccinated. That's right.
0: And unfortunately, this time there is a little bit more pressure on having the vaccine. You know, kids are really wanting to be protected and feel safe going back to school. Or maybe a family member might be vulnerable or have a lowered immune system. So parents are more worried, the kids themselves are more worried. So just a little bit more pressure, I think everyone's feeling to go and get that vaccine, which is feeding into this.
1: Definitely. And whenever there is pressure, we know, that can make anxiety worse. And so everyone is perhaps getting, you know, stuck in a place where they're not quite sure how to move forward. So today we're fortunate to have two experts with us,
0: Dr. Amanda Stock, an emergency physician here at RCH, who actually specialises in pain management techniques such as hypnotherapy. So I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. And Sonia Elia, an immunisation nurse practitioner here at RCH and head of the Immunisation Drop-In Centre, who has actually supported children and done research with needle distress over many years. So welcome, Amanda and Sonia.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: The first thing I'd really like to talk about is... What are we actually talking about here? What is needle distress? We know that no one actually likes a needle. So, Sonia, maybe for you first, tell me your sort of, uh, the way you think about sort of anxiety and and needle distress in kids. So it can
2: range from, uh, you know, mild, so I I don't really want to have an injection, to quite severe where it's actually difficult for the parent to get the child or adolescent into the car. Or if they do go into the car and get to the GP practice, we've heard stories where the child has then actually run off. So the severe distress is that they can't even bring themselves to meet the practitioner. So the distress can be really real. And I think sometimes it's tricky for us as parents to understand that because we know
0: why the vaccine is important. So therefore,
2: why can't we just... And sometimes
0: our response is, oh, come on, don't be so silly and almost to minimise the sort of issue. Amanda, what do you experience in the emergency department? You're doing procedures down there all the time, not just needles.
3: Yeah, and it's very similar to what Sonia's saying is that um, there's a spectrum and when it's very severe, it actually kind of stops us from being able to do the treatment that we need to do, whether we need to do a blood test or, you know, stitch up a wound and as Sonia kind of alluded to, or, and I think you spoke to as well, is that the parents are, are often trying to, um, you know, jolly jolly their child along, or are not really able to sort of understand just how distressed the child is, and just that that saying things like "be brave" or "let's just get it done quickly," those things are kind of talking to a child as if they've got some control over it, and when the phobia gets so turned up when the the volume is so turned up and the distress is so turned up uh, those kind of words aren't really helpful Um, and then children can often feel really ashamed um, that they haven't been able to be brave enough to have the blood test so I suppose we try and encourage parents to use different language.
1: Yeah I think I'm just thinking of my own experience as a parent here with my four year old and I think it was in the immunisation centre Sonia and thankfully some of your fabulous team there were there to help us out but I I really stepped into that come on just get on with mm. it let's just get it done and the more resistant he got the more frustrated I got and so the less patient I was and it just made everything so much worse and really what was needed was that validation of his feelings mm. which is what you're talking about there Amanda to say look I can see you're feeling worried and mm. that's actually reasonable and that's okay what can we do to get through this?
0: And I think sometimes in that situation, and, and Sonia, maybe you can speak to this, uh, parents have had experiences where um, the child has been held down or maybe um, excessive restraint has been used, uh, and then that can actually impact their experience for future immunisations or other procedures, and then there's this real sort of fear. So, you know I, know, I know you've had a lot of experience around stepping back and making sure that appropriate restraint is used. Yeah, absolutely. Often adolescents will describe
2: to us something that has happened earlier in their childhood that has triggered this needle phobia. It's very unusual for somebody not to have had a negative experience. And that what we hear is it could have been a through a dental procedure where the injection was given without their knowledge or that they were held down for something or it was uh, you know a blood test that you know they had multiple attempts and something has happened which has then caused this extreme distress you know later in, in their life and Procedural holding, I prefer to call it procedural yes. holding mm. uh, than restraint. its I'm always really led by the parent, but we often say that we won't ever really hold down – we just don't ever hold down a child. The child has to be in control at all times of what is being mm. done to them, and when you take that away by using excessive um, holding – then you're just make, contributing to further to the problem. Because sometimes the parents push that. Yes. or oh, just hold yeah. them down yes. and yeah.
3: Yes, that's exactly what we hear in emergency. Um, just, just get it done. Just get it done. And um, from the parents' point of view, they're thinking that that's the the right thing to do for the here and now, for that moment. Uh, but what often they don't realise is that that will then make future procedures like immunisations terribly frightening for the child. And it's not a logical, I guess what we're with phobias, they're, um, they're coming from the, the the oldest part of our brain, our, our amygdala. And so um, that's, that's trying to sort of protect us. And so using logic to a, a person who has a phobia doesn't normally work. So it's kind of like the analogy to fear of flying, telling them that flying is the safest form of transport that doesn't actually help them to get on a plane, does it? No. So using logic to a child who's frightened of an immunisation, saying it's only going to hurt for a moment and don't be silly, you know, it'll be really quick, that's not going to address that deep-seated concern.
1: And I think that's really important, Amanda, because that's where the difference is really between not liking a needle. It's pretty uncommon, if not rare, very rare, that a child might say that they're happy to have a needle or that they like it.
0: And Amanda, can you talk to us about which sort of kids experience needle distress?
3: Gosh, do you know what? It's any kind of child. It's any child. So, you know, if I think about our work, I mean, in emergency, we sort of are seeing kind of babies to 18-year-olds. And um you know, I guess when when children are pre-verbal, you don't get an idea just how distressed they are or you see it in their body language, but really it goes across all age groups and it goes across all types of children, um, children who are, um, have got intellectual disability, um, children who have got, we see a lot of children who have got autism. Um, And the common thing around all the children that I see in emergency who have that distress is that they feel like things are out of control. And if we can just give them a sense of control and what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, most of the time... Uh, we can get them on board and move to a place where we're not restraining them, as uh, Sonia was saying.
1: And you're absolutely right, Amanda. This can really affect any child. But we also know, and I certainly see this in my own clinical practice, that children with sensory differences or difficulties, for example, those children on the autism spectrum are more likely to have challenges when it comes to things like procedures and needles.
0: And Sonia, do you think this has become worse with COVID?
2: I mean, a day doesn't go by where it's not talked about in the media and there has been some negative press associated with the vaccination and there's all this talk and all this hype, you know, so the more we've talked about it, the more this leads to their anxiety. And unfortunately, I also see where negative language is being used. You know, you've got to have this vaccine or you won't be able to see grandma. You've got to have this vaccine or you won't be able to go back to school. And that just Escalates adds, adds more to the anxiety that they're already feeling about having a procedure anyway.
1: And I've I've certainly found with patients and families in clinic recently where this has been a really common topic of discussion actually when we're the, you know they're there for an appointment for something completely different we're talking about covid vaccines and frequently Parents will say, oh, actually, we haven't haven't really gone there yet because we know that, you know, their child has a real problem with these procedures and it's going to be really difficult and it's just too hard for us, so we're just sort of sitting tight for now. And so that negative language is coming in the family as well and the child sort of has this role or almost a label that they're needle avoidant or they're needle phobic and it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Okay, so look, I think now it's really good to just sort of step back and understand really any child can be affected by needle distress. And really what we're talking about here is just those kids that can't go through with the vaccine and how we can support them. So let's have a chat now about the sort of approach in the community. What can parents do? What can they access through their GP Amanda, tell us a little bit about the initial steps. So a parent has a child that they know is extremely distressed. Mm. Where could a parent start sort of working through how to
3: to support their child? One of the things first I think as a parent is that we just need to examine kind of the way that we're communicating to our children about getting the immunisation and just examine how our own anxieties and feelings might be leaking in to how we communicate with our kids. So again, it's coming back to control. So it's kind of saying, okay, we know that you're feeling worried and distressed about this. Can you think of ways that might make this easier? Because often as parents, we think we need to solve things and we don't understand that actually our children may have ideas about how this could be better. They in themselves Most children really want to have this immunisation and for those that are experiencing this level of distress and obstacles to getting it, they are actually going to feel quite ashamed that they can't do this. So first ask the child what might help them and we're always amazed at, particularly I always find in emergency and I'm sure in, in your clinics, that children often have the answer. So it might be that the child thinks that the only way that they can have the immunisation is going to an immunisation hub where they have to line up with lots of other people. The child might decide that it might be helpful to have a particular person to take them. And then it's really about having as much control as possible. So what day would you like to go and get your immunisation? Now at least things have really opened up so that there's a lot of appointments available. What day would you like to go? Um, What what lesson of school might you want to miss, you know, to go? What might you want to do after you've had the immunisation? So keeping it pretty quiet and just being really kind of factual about the process rather than a lot of noise about why it needs to happen. One yeah. of the
1: things that you just said there, Amanda, mm. made me think of, of of another patient I've seen recently when we asked um, this girl who was 14 about, you know, what what mm. might make this better for you. And we had this really awkward moment and then she said, oh, if you just weren't there, mum. Yeah. And so that was kind of a, a powerful moment mm. and it was difficult for her mum to process, mm. I think, but she coped with that really well and said, oh, right, okay, fine then, so so who would you like there? And she her preference was for dad to go along. Yeah. And, um, they, you know, they did that within the next three days and the immunisation went ahead and had a really good outcome. Oh, so, that's
3: fantastic. But I
1: think if we hadn't maybe had that conversation mm. all together there wasn't an easy way for the child or the young person to actually communicate that safely and sensitively to her mum who was obviously trying to help her. But at the same time, perhaps some of the anxiety was leaking in to use that expression you mentioned before. So
0: Amanda, you're really describing developing a plan together with your child, as you said, to give them a sense of control. I can do this. This is what's going to help me. Mm -hmm. Sonia, what other things do you think would be helpful in sort of formulating the, the plan with the child? There are lots of different techniques that children can use, and again,
2: it's really what works for them. So, there's. We had a child recently who she had a real plan of how she wanted to have a vaccination. It was actually sitting on mum's lap. She was twelve or thirteen, and she had wanted a Kindle. Now, it took forty minutes, but she actually did get to and have the vaccination. So. There's those things that they identify they wanna use that will help them through the process. There are other things like uh, you can use apps on the phone. We see the meditation apps, the deep breathing exercises. If kids have used that for other strategies in life, this can help them as well in terms of preparing for uh, you know a procedure. And then there are some other pharmacological or other non-pharmacological approaches. But that's where I think when a child can't identify things that they can use that are quick and easy on hand that's where parents and the child can actually talk to their GP about what's on offer or other health professionals who specialize in this work to work out you know a, a more formal plan if they're not able to come with something themselves.
0: Yeah and some of the other things obviously that you know we offer here at the hospital um, are things like you know ice packs to maybe numb the skin or the little vibrating device the Buzzy Bee which you can chat about in a minute or the, the Cool Sense um, applicator again, to apply cold to the skin. And some of these things are able to be incorporated into the child's plan through the GP, potentially, or even, you know, these are the things we often use here in our immunisation service. That's your team's expertise. So maybe tell everyone what Buzzy Bee is Mm. because that's one of my favourites. Yes, yes, I love Buzzy so
2: the buzzy bee, it's it um, literally looks like a little bee and it uses vibration and you can use it with the wings, which are frozen little ice packs that sit on it. And it actually, um, it sits on the arm that you're going to immunise for about 30 seconds. And what that does is provide some cold and, and numbing to the area. It also really uses the gate theory of blocking the pain from the brain. So when we actually go to give the injection, we raise the buzzy up, but keep it on the shoulder and, and literally block it from the needle to the child's head essentially. So we keep it there and then we give the injection and that works extremely well. We also use ExoCool, which is the uh, cool wand. And that tends to be a little bit more popular. I think sometimes the adolescents think that Buzzy's a little bit gimmicky. It's for the little (laughs) kids. Uh, So they just like using the cold uh, wand, the ExoCool, on its own. And that actually just works in the same way as a local anaesthetic cream, but it works in a lot quicker uh, fashion. So it takes about 10 seconds as opposed to a local anaesthetic cream, which can take about 45 minutes to an hour. And both of those are really quite useful.
1: That actually brings up a good question, Sonia, that we had from one of our um, followers on Instagram, Jane, who actually said, does numbing cream help before an immunisation? So you've just talked a little bit about that there.
2: Yes. So the good thing about the local numbing creams is that you can actually just buy it over the counter at the chemist. And we do guide parents on where to actually place the patch. So it is in the right spot. And again, If the child thinks that they want to use that, that's what will help them, it's part of their plan, then great. Again, it's them in control. It's them saying, yes, let's use it. And what it does is it actually really helps with the needle pain. So you can often give the needle and they don't know, but once you give the vaccine, they do feel the medicine. So, But by that stage you're already halfway there. And so it really does help them in the sense of getting the needle in.
0: Fantastic. And Amanda, maybe talk to us a little bit about some of those other techniques Mm -hmm. um, around immersing a child in a different sort of experience, again, sort of distracting them away from the needle.
3: One of the things that um, children are very good at, and I think they sometimes forget how good they are at it, is being completely absorbed in something. So I'm sure that everyone's had the experience of, you know, calling your child for dinner and they don't come because they're completely immersed in whatever activity they're doing. Or sometimes maybe they do hear us, I don't know. (laughs) But children can really... They they really have an amazing capacity to get absorbed in their own world and we can use that skill and we can encourage children to use that skill. So uh, a lot of the times in emergency when children are really frightened about needle procedures, what I might say to them is, if you weren't in this room right now, where would you rather be? And I did this last week with a, a very frightened um, little five-year-old um, who, was, who needed to have a needle procedure. And she took herself off to her kitchen and she started making tacos. And we went through this whole process of making tacos and she explained what she was having in hers and what mum was having while the needle procedure was done. And so that enabled her to be fully immersed in that experience and just allow her arm or the arm to have the needle procedure done. So we can encourage children, and that might need a little bit of practice um, before they go and have their immunisation to actually be absorbed somewhere else. So it might be that they discuss a beautiful holiday that they've been to with their mum or their dad um, next to them while they have um, the immunisation. It might be that they're playing a a game. It's giving them the confidence that they have the ability to go somewhere else while the immunisation is happening so that they don't really need to worry about what's happening and almost encourage them to imagine that the arm is not really part of the body while they're having the immunisation. It kind of sounds a little bit odd, but when we're dealing with things like phobias where it's not really particularly rational like we were saying before sometimes really unusual suggestions can really help children Um, and often they've never heard that concept before so sometimes it can really work and you might notice that I've spoken about the arm rather than their arm and the arm just means that there's a little bit of space between them and the arm so the arm can just be resting comfortably And it might have Buzzy on or it might have some local anaesthetic on. But they, the rest of them, can be with mum talking about their next holiday or talking about a holiday that they've had or being in the kitchen making chocolate cake while the arm gets the immunisation. It Mm.
1: sounds like what you're talking about there, Amanda, is the the idea of disassociation really from something, which we know kids use in lots of different ways actually when they're involved in really traumatic experiences that they have an incredible ability actually to separate themselves from what might be happening to protect themselves. So it's about drawing on that ability in kids. And we... Do things like that here all the time with the help of experts like you and Sonia and play therapists and all kinds of things. but it sounds like from what you're describing that a parent really can actually help their child, just them and their child yes. to to actually use this type of
3: approach. Absolutely, and what we um what I see all the time in emergency is I see I might just give the suggestion to a parent and they just go with it. So I think, I guess I want to say to the people listening, is have confidence that you can do this with your child. You know your child better than anyone. You know what will immerse your child. I had a parent recently, I had a a boy who needed to have a plaster put on and he was very frightened. And I said, where would you rather be? He said, playing soccer and i got kind of got distracted doing the plaster and his mother literally for 5 minutes immersed him in his last soccer game and he was kicking goals and he didn't even know what we were doing so i think that's really important to convey that you as parents can do this really simple um, but very effective work with your kids,
0: and in fact, another sort of extension of that, which Sonia can chat mm-hmm. about in a second, is um, are these virtual reality mm. headsets yes. that are also being used in the adult, um, you know, immunisation space as well. But something that's a really lovely uh, alternative for kids. To immerse themselves Mm. in a new world, and it it looks like, um, you know, a little headset with a screen that the child watches. And there's some fantastic programs where the child, you know, is on a boat and then dives underwater and is deep in the sea and looking at fish and blowing bubbles. And you know, it's quite an extraordinary experience. I put one of these on um, just a few months ago, and I absolutely loved it. Um, We're totally immersed in in a particular environment or scene, and so that's really what you're talking about. Mm. It's that sort of complete. Immersion and distraction away from what's going to happen with the needle. So, Sonia, you've actually been using those in the drop-in centre, haven't you? Yes, I love using the (laughs) VR goggles. But you're right, it is important that we as
2: providers have actually used it ourselves so that we know what it is the children are seeing so that we can engage and take them through that journey as well. So the VR goggles, they actually provide not just passive distraction by watching something it's also active distraction because there's actually a lot of deep breathing it's like breathe in and breathe out and then these bubbles come up on the screen so as if you've blown the bubbles in the water and so it's it's, that quite more active if you like but knowing what's coming out, you say oh have you seen the stingray can you is there a adult? and I only just found out the other day there's a whale I hadn't seen the whale before <laughs> so it's actually getting them actively involved in their own distraction and as Amanda said then they're really distancing themselves from what's going on and all these other techniques that you can bring in with you know the cold wand or the buzzy device actually just help because they really won't know when they've actually had the, the, the injection.
0: So we've talked about an amazing array of things that, you know, kids can think about, parents can think about, put in their plan. So I suppose the first step is for the parent really to sit down with their child, as you said, and talk about all of those things from the day, who's going, what's on the plan, what might they use when they get there. Obviously, all of these things are not going to be available to every parent, but many GPs use a lot of these techniques and we do really try to encourage Uh, GPs to
2: utilise some of these uh, tools because a lot of this work as well is about trust. And it's very hard for us at the Children's Hospital in a brief moment of meeting this family for the first time is to establish that. Whereas the family have got that with the GP. And so it's a lot easier for the family to utilise these tools with the GP themselves. And so, yeah, so we're definitely doing a lot of education and and putting out these resources to Mm. inform GPs that use these things first. You know, not everybody has to come to the Children's Hospital for this experience.
1: And I think that, Point about trust is really important, Sonia, because we're talking about a bit of an immunisation journey here for children and adults. So, even just with the COVID vaccine, obviously there are two doses. So, if you have a really problematic first experience, Mm. that's going to make that second experience even harder. And the reverse is true which is good as well. If you have a great first experience, you know, probably the second experience is going to be much more straightforward. And it's likely there's going to be more, you know, vaccinations on the horizon as well. So children may be requiring boosters. This might become a really frequent, you know, annual kind of situation. So it's that long-term picture as well. It's that trust. It's not like, let's just get this out of the way and we're Mm. never going to have to think about it again.
3: And I think it's important as well to um, recognise that for many children, potentially the first time they go for their immunisation. I've spoken to a lot of GP friends where um, the first time the child comes, they they can't do it. So they come into the, into the consultation room with their plan and everything's kind of going well. And then they just sort of, it gets a bit too much. And a lot of GPs are then asking for advice, you know, about where to go to. And I think one of the most important things um, really to convey is that the child should leave the room not thinking that they've failed. Yeah. And so that's important language for the GP to use and also for us as parents to use. So instead of saying, oh, well, you didn't get it done and we've wasted a bit of time and maybe we wasted the doctor's time, um, it can be reframed as well done for getting in today. Well done for getting into the office you know that's the first step so you're really giving the your, your child um a positive affirmation that they've done they've done well and okay next time what are we going to do that's different so that they don't feel ashamed yeah. and they don't feel that they've let people down and i think as parents and also as health practitioners often we don't realize just how deep that feeling is in children when they don't think they've done what they should have done. So it's good
0: just to sort of say, look, it might take a couple of yeah. goes. Yep. It might yes. not be completely perfect and successful yeah. the first time. And Amanda, some online resources maybe mm. that parents can, you know, look to or read more mm. about this, support their kids.
3: Yeah, I think one of the um, websites that I really like is the MEG Foundation. So MEG, like um, the the name MEG, and that just goes through, it really normalises, firstly, needle distress um, like we spoke about, that it's not not something to be ashamed of. But it also has strategies where parents can actually talk through um, with their children like we were um, speaking about earlier in the podcast about what they can do to feel like they're, they're in control. And that might be something that then they take to their GP to work through in that first consultation so that then the GP, your child and yourself all have a plan of how to make the first immunisation um, as comfortable as possible.
0: Yeah. And Sonia, are there any specific resources here that the hospital's developed that you might like to tell parents about? Yeah, so there's a great
2: um, website here at the hospital, Be Positive, uh, where they actually have a lot of procedural preparedness videos. We often direct families to those to watch before coming in for it. There's one specifically on immunisation, there's one using Buzzy and some of the devices, and then also, um, you know, moving up to sedation if required.
0: Yeah, brilliant, and we'll link to those in our show notes. Absolutely.
1: And I think this might be a good time as well to reflect on the fact that even if you try all of these fantastic things, sometimes you can't get there, and um, there are obviously options for the next step. A couple of things to talk about there where that might be, but also whether you might be able to get any extra help alongside, even in the GP situation, for example, a psychologist might be able to help a child with this. Sonia, can you chat a bit about that?
2: Yeah. So it's, it is important that... We do give them other options. So there is options for sedation, for immunisation. However, I often think that that's just the means to the end. That's really just the way in which we get the vaccination done, again, in a way that is still in control because the child, you know, has to partake in the sedation process.
1: So we can get around getting it done, if you like, and that could be with strategies like sedation and lots of the things we've talked about today but the underlying phobia might still be there and yes up comes the problem again next time. Exactly
2: so we do refer families to speak with a psychologist to get strategies long term um, to work through a process of how they can do it in future because unfortunately there aren't sedation services when you're an older adult you know so we really do need a way of of moving forward and so a lot of um, families do seek out psychologist support.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so not, maybe now let's turn to that very small group of children who, despite all of these different sort of um, options that we We can offer just can't get through and have the vaccine and the referral pathways I guess more to sort of hospital-based services or tertiary services now we know at the moment that there's a lot of pressure um, on referral and there just isn't you know necessarily the resources so Sonia I know you've been experiencing a lot of um, requests and referrals to see kids here in our services tell us a little bit about that So
2: at the Children's Hospital, the Immunisation Service, we've been offering sedation with immunisation since 2012. Uh, So we've certainly got much experience in that area. But it really is those children who have tried all these techniques and still not been able to get through to having immunisation and have had multiple attempts at doing that. And we do take a really good history with the child and the family beforehand. Have you used the creams? Have you used the different devices? You know, have you seen a psychologist really taking a good history and what has been the trigger for uh, the needle phobia so when we get to the sedation um, perspective, we've got two options. We we try just with nitrous alone, so the inhalation gas, which just takes the edge off the anxiety. And they do hold the mask themselves, so they're completely in control. And then we're able to give the vaccination. That works about 90% of the time. The times that it doesn't is where the child doesn't want to use it. And then the very next step from that is if that we that is unsuccessful, then, or the distress is so great that they can't bring themselves to even utilise the, the gas mask, then we can go to an oral sedation of um, midazolam and or the nitrous as well through our day medical unit. So we've always done that work and we've probably only, you know, really only seen, you know, one to three patients a week for that service. And it's been the only service in Victoria providing that. Um, but what we've seen with the COVID vaccine rollout is the demand has quadrupled and the state government have actually identified this as an issue and so fortunately there are services now setting up at other hospitals in Victoria so the Northern uh, Monash the Austin Hospital Sunshine so there are definitely a lot more services now for children which is great because there's no point us keep accepting all these referrals and not offering people an appointment until March next year so um, so it really is a small group of people but when it's a small group of people, that is the whole state of Victoria, it's, it's obviously been a lot of work but it is great to hear that that work will be shared.
0: And so for parents listening, they can either get a referral from their GP, some kids are seen in the immunisation clinic and then those children are referred to the day medical unit and those are really the kids, as you said, who need probably both the gas and maybe the oral medication um, and for the drop-in centre, do parents need a referral to you for that as well from their GP? Yes, referral is needed. OK, yeah. so, so parents need to be able to go to their GP and get the referral. But as you said, these services are really blocked at the moment. So today we are really, you know, talking in detail about those services parents can access in the community and support their kids.
1: And I imagine the clinics that are setting up that you've just talked about, Sonia, at many of the other hospitals around um, parts different parts of Victoria and Melbourne would have a similar system. System where a referral from the GP to the local hospital to access that service is the best way to yes, go about it.
2: Yeah. In fact, they can make a referral on the Melbourne Vaccine Education Centre website. It's a central, so Fantastic. it's actually a central portal so that all the referrals come into one spot and then they're triaged and sent out to the various. And Geelong as well, I should mention as well. Fabulous. So, yeah. so we
1: can pop that link up in the show notes as well, and I'm sure that will be helpful for parents and for healthcare providers. We know we might have some listeners who are not in Victoria uh, as well, and I imagine that there's likely to be similar services available in your own state so perhaps um, making contact with the local children's hospital would be the best way to find out more. So Amanda we've talked about distraction and some of the awake sedation
0: techniques that Sonia's been mentioning you have expertise um, in hypnotherapy, mm. and I thought it might be great just to talk about that. This is obviously not a service that all parents can necessarily mm. access, but tell us a little bit about how hypnotherapy works for these children who have maybe much more severe needle phobia.
3: Essentially hypnotherapy is inviting a child to or or an adult to be in contact with your subconscious mind. It's a way of kind of thinking about things in a different context. And so the way that we work with hypnotherapy, it's very individual depending on whether they're children or adults, is generally uh, getting um, a child into a state of intense concentration or absorption. And for something like needle phobia, you might have the child... uh, in the session watching themselves go through um, the procedure in a really successful way. So we might get them to to be sitting down and imagine that they've just walked into the room, feeling calm and comfortable. Then the next time they might go in and sit in the room and then have their sleeve uh, lifted up. Then you might progress on to them imagining that they're seeing the nurse get the immunisation uh, out and preparing it. If at any point they're feeling their discomfort or their anxiety escalating, then they might just press pause on the show that they're watching, the show of themselves. So it's it's uh, preparing in a sense, it's gradually preparing the child for something that is frightening that may happen. But then Linking it to a positive state of mind because when we are frightened of something, automatically what happens is our heart rate goes up and we might start to feel sweaty. So, what you're trying to do in hypnotherapy is detach the child a little bit from that negative or frightening experience and then link it to them feeling calm and comfortable. One of the things that you can even do outside hypnosis that may be really effective for children before they go in for a needle procedure, which is really quick and easy, is just kind of creating an anchor or a mantra. It kind of sounds a little bit cheesy, but often it might be something like, I've got this. And what I've done with children in emergency is I'll get them to... Make a fist with the arm that's not being used as, you know, to have the needle procedure. So say, for example, you're having the child's decided to have the immunisation in their left arm. So you might say to the child, "Okay, I want you to make a fist with your right hand. And in that fist, I want you to squeeze really tightly all the things that you want to feel. And again, it's asking that child what they want to feel. It might be, I want to feel strong. I want to feel calm. And that's their mantra, that's their anchor, and they can practice this beforehand. So what they do is, as they're waiting for their immunization, squeeze really hard in that right fist, whatever their mantra is, whatever their anchor is, powerful, calm, and they squeeze as hard as they can. And then in their other hand, they let anything that they don't want, any feelings that they don't want or any words or thoughts that are unwanted or unneeded, they imagine that dripping out of their other hand. So you're inhaling or squeezing in the things that you want in your fist, strong fist and then you're letting the things that you don't want, that yucky feeling in your tummy, that dry mouth, that beating heart you're just letting it drip out of that left hand drip out through all your fingers and then that actually allows that arm that's going to be immunized just to be a bit more relaxed gosh i'm feeling calm and just listening yeah, to I you. Know, like thinking too. That
1: too. <laughs> we're always sort of you've got us under your spell now amanda quite literally it's I think. really
3: nice actually and you can actually use this for the parents so as a parent if you're kind of going oh my god how is this going to work is my child going to be okay with this right fist <laughs> i've got this Yeah. Left hand. And you don't have to be... It doesn't have to be immunisation. No. It's anything. anything. (laughs) You
1: might be able to draw
3: on this. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a... That's a hypnotherapeutic technique that can be done in five seconds. So look, ideally
0: we'd have lots of you out there in the community Amanda and maybe that is something in the future we can hope for more Mm. services in the community for families and parents where they can access you know hypnotherapy it's obviously not going to be an option that everyone can Mm. go and do tomorrow but just so great to hear about the approach and you know it's just fantastic that there are all these different services and, and approaches that parents can access
1: yeah, yeah I think that we've heard so many useful things today, Margie, and many of them, importantly, that parents can take away and mm. try, you know, themselves, that they can work with their local doctor to, you know, embrace, to actually make a real difference to this really challenging issue that is front of mind for lots of families at the moment.
0: Yeah, look, it's been an incredibly helpful discussion today. Honestly, it's such an important issue at the moment. And as we've talked about with COVID, it really has intensified in terms of the urgency that parents feel and kids feel to, to have their vaccine. So, so great to talk through the different strategies and approaches and just trying to give parents and kids a sense of control that Mm. this will be okay they can step through it there are different options so thank you so much for your expert guidance today Sonia and Amanda you're welcome lovely
3: to be here
1: for parents listening we've talked about lots of helpful resources today and we're going to pop those links up in our show notes for you to take a look at later hopefully you've learned some things I'm sure you've enjoyed it as we have today and thanks for listening
2: Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.